Let's pray. God, we thank you once again uh, that you are God, that this is the day that you have made, and so we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. We praise you and we thank you that you have given us life and breath, and you have allowed us to gather once again, either in your house literally or in your house virtually, to worship you, to praise you, to hear from you, and ultimately to have an encounter with you. And I pray, God, that those of us who are meeting with you today will not leave that meeting unchanged. I pray now that as we turn to your word, that you will open our eyes to see and our hearts to receive what it is that you have to teach us out of this word. We love you. We want to love you more. Please help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, once again, so good to be with you all. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. And I want to say again, if I haven't said it, we haven't said it enough, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers uh, in our congregation. We honor you and we bless you. And I, I want you to know if this is a hard day for you, you are seen here and you are loved here and you are honored too. Uh, so this is so typical for the way this last 14 months have gone. But we had flowers that were on order for everyone in the congregation, mothers and someone who has a mother and someone who wants to honor a mother. They were supposed to come Friday, didn't come. They were supposed to come yesterday, didn't come, and they're coming tomorrow. I'm sure they're going to be beautiful. So if we can keep them alive for the next seven days, we will have flowers for you next Sunday. And it's just like, it's like Mother's Week instead of Mother's Day. So just know that's the, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes in COVID church. Um, today's teaching text is out of 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read most of the chapter. I'll skip a few verses towards the end. But 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, we are finishing today our series on some of the great prayers of the Bible called Cries of Our Hearts. Uh, normally, I'm normally like a three-point sermon guy. But today I have four points. I hope that doesn't mess you up. Uh, but it messes me up a little bit, and it means we got to hustle. So if I'm, if I'm going fast, uh, that's why. It's not because I'm nervous. It's just because i got a lot that I want to try and hit. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hopefully that rambling gave you enough time to get there. If not, it will be up on the screen. And have grace with me for, through these first few verses because there are some tough names. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. She was worshiping during COVID. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your service as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew, his, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now we're just going to skip ahead to verse 25. They go home. Uh, Hannah raises up Samuel until he's weaned, and then they bring him back to Shiloh, to Eli the priest. Verse 25, then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was a marathon. Uh, let's talk about presence really quickly. I understand, we, I know that today is Mother's Day, and so my expectation is that there might be some presents opened this afternoon, which reminds me to run an errand when I get home, if we hope to open presents in our house this afternoon. Um, I like to give presents. I love to get presents. See what I did there? I took it from Mother's Day to me. I have a, I have a knack for doing that. I love to get presents. There are some people in this world who wake up most mornings, and though they may not say it, in their heart of hearts, they are thinking, I am good. I'm content with the things that I have. There's nothing that I really want. There are other people like me who wake up every morning and the list of the things that they want is longer than there would be time to recite it. I'm working on it. It's not godly. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I've always been that way. But I always have stuff that I want. And so growing up, Christmas was a really big deal to me. Because Christmas was a golden opportunity to take something and move it from the want list to the have list. The problem of, with that, the problem when, when it's a really big deal is there's a high opportunity, high probability for you or me in this instance to be disappointed. And I'm going to tell you about one of those instances. Uh, it was the Christmas of eighth grade. Uh, I had high hopes for maybe some Jordans. 25 years later, I'm still hoping for Jordans on Christmas. What does that say about my spiritual development? Or maybe some CDs or a video game, maybe even a disc man. And I got through some of my gifts. I got to a smaller one, and I, it, I knew it wasn't shoes. It wasn't big enough to have shoes. But I was getting, to, you know, eighth grade, I was getting to the point where I realized that sometimes good things come in smaller packages. And so I started to open that gift, and it was that, that plastic that you need like a hacksaw to open, you know, and, and so I knew, I knew this was a good sign. It was a good possibility there was some electronics in this gift. And as I continued to open that, I was right. It was electronics, but my, my mood went from anticipation to confusion to horror 
when I realized that the electronic I had received was a Texas Instruments, shout out Zeke, TI-85 graphing calculator. Look at that bad boy. I mean, is that not the dream of every eighth grader on Christmas morning? True story. So you see, the deal is, in ninth grade, I needed that calculator for my math class. It wasn't cheap. It was, I think it was like 100 bucks at the time. And so God bless my parents. They decided to use some of the Christmas budget on the graphing calculator that I needed for ninth grade. So I got school supplies for Christmas morning. We can, we can clap. I, we still laugh, we laugh about it to this day in my Love, I love my parents and have a wonderful relationship with them. And we still have a good laugh about this. And as a dad myself of young kids now, a bunch of young kids, I get it, kind of. I was disappointed. Maybe that goes without saying. I was disappointed. I didn't say it at the time, but had I spoken, what I would have said in that moment was, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that place where you're thinking, maybe not saying it out loud, or maybe you are saying it out loud, this is not what I wanted. A few weeks ago, we talked about crises. We talked about how crises are universal. And this morning, what I want to submit to you is that not only are crises universal, but disappointment is universal. We are all going to walk through seasons, moments, long stretches of our life, thinking to ourselves, this is not what I wanted. Doesn't matter if we're the poorest person on earth. I think all of us could imagine if that was us, that there would be many things that we would be thinking, this is not what I wanted about our life. Or if we are the richest person on earth, which as we were reminded this week, does not come without disappointment. I'm sure many of you saw that the Gates announced that they were getting divorced this week. Bill and Melinda Gates at one time, I don't think anymore, but at one time the richest people on the face of the earth, they could have anything in the world that they could possibly dream of. And when they announced this week that they were getting divorced, and that's a sermon for another day, may we recognize that what they are saying is that one or both of them has come to the point where they are thinking to themselves, this is not what I wanted. We are all going to walk through this is not what I, moment, not what I wanted moments in our lives. And if I can get up in your business a little bit this morning, and as a pastor, that's kind of my job, I suspect that there are some people in this room this morning joining with us on the live stream right now or watching at a later time, there is a gnawing in your soul today because as you look at your life, the primary thought is this is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. This is not how I hoped things would go. Disappointment is universal and we're all going to walk through it. Which is why I want to preach this text that we're preaching this morning as we close up this series that we've called Cries of Our Heart where we are looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible. The situation that Hannah, the main, main character in this story, I said that's not a story, it really happened, but the main character in this event, she is walking through a deep season of this is not what I wanted. I hope at some level this is an appropriate message for Mother's Day because it is the cry of a mother or a, or a would-be mother who is deeply disappointed with the way that her life has turned. Hope, for those of you who are disappointed this morning, or for those of us who are going to walk through disappointment at some time in the future of our lives, that we will find instruction and encouragement and hope 
as we look at Hannah and Samuel's story here in 1 Samuel 1. And as I said earlier, I got four points today, so we got to hustle. So here it is. First thing I want us to see in this, we're diving right in. The social distancing sticker is sticking to my feet. Point number one, does not prevent disappointment. Devotion does not prevent disappointment. Let's look back at this story. We're told in verse 3, this family, Elkanah and Penina and Hannah, verse 3, used to go up year by year with Elkanah from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal, but we just need a little bit of biblical context to understand why that actually kind of is a big deal. So in the Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel follows the book of Judges. In the English Bible, it doesn't. We have Ruth in the middle. But in the original Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel follows the book of Judges. And for anyone who knows what the trajectory of the book of Judges is, the book of Judges is a description of the continuous descent of the nation of Israel away from God and into sin and depravity and, and nastiness. The last few chapters of the book of Judges are, are deeply disturbing. They present some stories that I kind of, as a preacher, hope I don't ever have to preach. Because if they were to make movies of what's going on in the last few chapters of the book of Judges, we wouldn't watch them and we wouldn't let our kids watch them. They are deeply disturbing. And the book of Judges ends, the last verse of the book of Judges says this. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So you leave the book of Judges and you're like, what is happening to God's chosen people? What is happening to the nation of Israel? And then we open up 1 Samuel, which is the next book in the Hebrew Bible. And in the first three verses, we're introduced to this man and his family who every year go to the tabernacle in Shiloh to offer sacrifices and offerings to God. It doesn't say it in our text, but just as God prescribed when he gave them the law at Mount Sinai through Moses. So the contrast could not be more stark because we come out of Judges and we're like, what is happening to God's people? And we enter into 1 Samuel and the author of 1 Samuel is saying, here's a man and a family who were different. They were doing things differently. They were devoted to God. As best as they could, they were doing what is right. So they were devoted, but there was a problem. The problem, verse 2, one of the wives, Hannah, is barren. She's unable to have children. The inability to have children is a is a sad, frustrating, and tragic instance regardless of what culture or time in history you find yourself. But it was especially tragic in the ancient Near East. One scholar, R.F. Youngblood, says this. I don't think I have a, a slide for it. He says, Barrenness in ancient times was the ultimate tragedy for a married woman since her husband's hopes and dreams depended on her providing him with a son to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. Hannah is devoted to God. She's, the, she's actually, as we see through the rest of this chapter, she's the picture of devotion to God. But what would have been the highest goal of her life is unable to happen. So, so not only is she unable to have children, but she's oppressed. Verse 6, her, her sister wife, Penina, again, a sermon for another day, most likely the reason Penina is in the picture is because Hannah is barren. It is echoes of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Again, a sermon for another day. But she is provoking her. She makes fun of her. You can just imagine them hanging out at the tent. And she's like, oh, man, it is so much work to have all of these kids. What am I going to do with all of these kids? Well, I guess, Hannah, you don't understand what that's like. Elkanah, Elkanah, I think I need a bigger tent for all of these kids that I've had. Maybe Hannah could take the smaller tent. She's oppressed and she is broken over it. Verse 7. 
End of verse 7. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Literal Hebrew translation, why is your heart bad? Why is your heart bad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Here is Hannah. Seems to be doing everything right. Seems to be living a life devoted to God. But she's not able to have children. And it is crushing her. Devotion to God does not prevent us from walking through disappointment in this life. Uh, it's a little bit like this. And I need to be careful because I am not a doctor nor nutritionist. And every time I talk about things that I'm not an expert in, I'm reminded that I'm not an expert in them. But so you know, pretty much everything I talk about, I'm not an expert in. So we can just get that off the table right now. We know there is a pretty decent amount of evidence that if you follow a plant-based diet, that has the potential to reduce your risk of getting certain diseases, sicknesses that a lot of us humans deal with. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not promoting it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm making a value statement. I love meat personally, but I'm good with people who don't. I'm good with people who do. I think, I think, it's, I'm, on, I think I'm on safe ground to say your primary breakfast consists of quinoa and kale, your chances of getting sick are less than if your is a bacon cheeseburger and beer. Fair enough? But here's the deal. Not a guarantee. You can eat a totally plant-based diet, eat no sugar ever in your life, no carbs, no processed anything, no refined flour, and you can still get cancer. You can still get heart disease. You can still have hypertension. You can still have high blood pressure. Oh, that is hypertension. You can still have high cholesterol. It's not a guarantee, and the same is true in our walk with God. You can be devoted to God. You can be wholly devoted to him, doing everything that you believe he's calling you to do. And that does not insulate you from walking through disappointment. It does not insulate you from walking through seasons of life where you look at your life and you are like, this is not what I wanted. Our problem, recognize that in our head. Should I grab this handheld? Is that, is that good? All right. I'm going I'm to turn off the, this one. Okay. Our problem is that we know it in our heads, but it's hard to believe it in our hearts. Because even though we say we know the call of God is to suffering and to difficulty, and Jesus suffered and so might we, when things get hard, when we get the TI-85 graphing calculator for Christmas morning, our response, again, it's not like, well, that's, I know that this can happen when I follow God. Our response is what? God, I'm holding up my end of the deal. And first of all, can we just take a time out there? Really? Are we really holding up our end of the deal, doing everything that God has ever commanded us to do? God, I'm holding up my end of the deal. Why aren't you? Where are you? Why does my life look like this? Why are you allowing this to happen? I thought that you were a good God. We need to remember, because it's the first thing that this text teaches us, that even if we are walking with God, even if we are devoted to God, even if we are doing all the things we think are right, that does not insulate us from walking through disappointment, walking through this is not what I wanted with my life moments or, or whole sections of our life. Devotion does not prevent disappointment. So what do we do with that? Number two, we take our disappointments to the one who can do something about them. We take our disappointments to the one who can do something about them. Hopefully you're noticing that I did not try too hard to make these points really concise. 
we take our disappointments to the one who can do something about them. I was going to call this point, pray like you're drunk. But I didn't think that would be very helpful. So Hannah is disappointed. She's broken. They go up every year to Shiloh. They have a party as a family. She can't even eat. And she leaves the party. And what does she do? She goes into the tabernacle. Verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, oh, Lord of hosts. Now we need to hang out right there just for one second. This is the first time in the whole Hebrew Bible. It's not until 1 Samuel chapter 1 that God is called the Lord of hosts. It's not a word we use a lot, hosts. Other translations say the Lord of heaven's armies. It is appealing to the power of God. He is the one who is over all. He is the leader of all. He is the one who is over every kingdom, every army, every nation. He is even the one who is over heaven's armies. And so what she is saying in that moment is she's saying, I am disappointed. I have a problem and I am taking it to you, God, the one who is capable of doing something about it. In her disappointment, Hannah prays a bold prayer of faith. And she goes on. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She's saying, remember me. She's saying, God, in my disappointment, remember me. She takes her disappointment to the one who can do something about it. Uh, Now, when I have a cavity... That is a disappointment. When I have a cavity, that is a this is not what I wanted moment. But when I have a cavity, I do not go see my auto mechanic. Conversely, when I have a flat tire, and that hits close to home because I got a leaky tire right now and it is super annoying. When I have a flat tire, that is a this is not what I wanted, that is a disappointing moment. I don't go see my dentist. I have to take my disappointments to the one who can do something about it. When I need a root canal, I don't go to my, I don't go to my mechanic. Can you imagine him pulling out a drill and being like, well, I usually use this on brake pads, but I think it'll fit in your tooth. We all know that's not going to end well. And we need to do the same thing with our disappointments. We need to take them to the one who can actually do something about them. But again... The challenge is, the problem is, we like to take our disappointments to all the ones who can't do something about it. So when we look at our life and we're like, this is not what I want it to look like, we look to our husband or we look to our wife, maybe not explicitly but implicitly, to fix it. The problem is they can't. That's a burden too great for them to bear. When we are disappointed, we look to our kids or to our job or to our hobbies or to alcohol or to pornography But none of those things can actually do for us what we need for them to do. It is like taking your tire to your dentist. Now, maybe maybe your dentist can handle it. It's like taking your root canal to to your auto mechanic. We must take our disappointments to the one who can actually do something about them. So may in our disappointments, prayer, turning to God, be a first resort rather than a last resort. Let us take our disappointments to the one who can do something about them. Now, lest we believe that the promise of this text is that if you are walking through disappointment, 
if you simply pray a bold prayer of faith, then God will give you what you ask for. The third thing I want us to see in this text is this. Our hope is in the giver, not the gift. Our hope is in the giver, not the gift. I think this is the most important point to take out of this whole story. And it's probably the easiest one to miss. Hannah goes up to the temple. She prays this bold prayer. Eli thinks that she's inebriated. They get that worked out. Eli blesses her on her way out. And then verse 18 says this. Second half of verse 18. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Here is Hannah. She couldn't eat. Her heart was bad. She was completely broken over this disappointment in her life. She goes to God's house. She gets with God. She is nursing this deep wound, this deep darkness in her life, this deep, this is not how I wanted my life to look. She rolls that burden onto God. Psalm 55, 22, I just read it this morning. Cast your burdens onto the Lord. And can we notice where this verse is in the chronology of the story? She goes away. Her face is no longer sad. She rejoins the party. She eats. But it's before she's gotten any answer from God. She didn't need the answer to be changed. She needed the giver, not the gift. And if this story ended right here, it would be enough. Because she got with God. And in his presence, casting her cares, her burdens, her disappointments onto him, she was changed. She needed God more than she needed a son. She needed God more than she needed a son because her hope was found in the giver, not in the gift. I think some of us this morning and some of us watching online may actually be experiencing something like that right now. Because it is Mother's Day, I suspect, did you know, did you know that Mother's Day is the third highest church attendance day of the year after Christmas and Easter? Because at some point a month ago, some of you asked your mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? And you were thinking about a gift. And she was like, I don't need your gifts I just want you. I want to be with you. And so you're, you're here today or you're watching online and Sunday morning church is not usually the kind of thing that you would do, but you're doing it because your mother didn't want your gifts. She wanted you. Conversely, did you know that Father's Day is one of the least, attendance, least attended church days of the year? Because when you ask dad what he wants, he wants to golf. That's the sermon for another day too. It's the same way with God. We need God more than we need his gifts. We need to be with God more than we need to be cured of cancer, more than we need a husband, more than we need a wife. We need God more than we need children. We need God more than we need a house. That one hurts here in the Bay Area. We need to know God and to walk with God. And when that is happening, all of his good gifts, and there are many of them, become secondary. Everything in creation becomes secondary to knowing and walking with God. Because our hope is in the giver, not the gift. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it in his book. Uh, it's a collection of his sermons called The Weight of Glory. He says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. 
He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. That is a word for the Bay Area. We need the giver more than we need the gift. Last thing, point number four. If it was done there, it would be good enough. But I just want to take us through the rest of the, rest of the story because I think there's one more thing we want to see in this. Our disappointments are God's opportunities. I know that's not what it says up there. I'm changing it on the fly. Our disappointments are God's opportunities. So Hannah walks away changed. If nothing else had happened, her countenance and her person is changed. But verse 19, we're told that the Lord remembered Hannah. And that is not that he just called her to mind. The implication there of remembering is he remembered and he acted. And we see that in verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. But this is what we must recognize. What happens with Samuel? She has him for a few years. Most scholars think till he was about three years old. And then she fulfills the vow that she made when she prayed the prayer asking for a son. And she takes him back to the tabernacle. And what does she do? She gives him back to God. That gift, that good gift from God was not really for Hannah. I mean, at one level it was. She got a child and her shame and her disappointment and her, her, her despair were reversed. And that's a little picture of the gospel right there. But that good gift from God to Hannah in the midst of her disappointment was not only for her. Remember the context. Coming out of Judges, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel is a mess. And the question that hangs over the beginning of 1 Samuel is what is going to happen? And Hannah is given a good gift from God and it is Samuel. And Samuel grows up to be a great prophet, a great priest, a great judge, a great leader in the kingdom of Israel who turns their hearts away from idols and back to God. He ushers in the monarchy. He is the one who literally anoints King David, who ushers in the greatest season of Israel's history. That gift for Hannah was not just for her. It was for all of God's people. So in our disappointment this morning, may we remember that whether or not God answers, we just need him. But if he does, if he gives us what we ask him for in bold faith, that is not just so that we can kind of go our merry way and feel good about ourselves. It is an opportunity for God to express to the world through us how powerful and good and gracious he is. Our disappointments are God's opportunities. Infertility, depression, broken relationships, financial stress, hopelessness, even death, they are no match for the Lord of heaven's armies. They are no match for the Lord of hosts. And please may we hear this. The promise of this text is not that God will give a child to a childless couple if they just ask with enough faith. The promise of this text is not that God will just give you whatever you ask if you ask for it with enough faith. The promise of this text is that day in and day out, God is working his perfect plan to completion in my life and yours and no amount of disappointment, frustration, sadness, or fear, not even the gates of hell are going to stop him from accomplishing his purpose. It is not his gifts that we need. 
It is not his answers that we need. It is him. He gives us answers and he gives us gifts. He is a good God and he is a good father who loves to give good things to his children. But even if he does not give us what we ask for, we can went our way, we can go our way and eat and our face is no longer sad simply because we have him. So as we wrap this up, I just want to remind us of the context that we are looking at. Book of Judges, it's a disaster. Nothing is going right. The Israelites are sinning and depraved left and right. We get to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here comes a miracle birth. A mother who never should have been able to have a child. A child for whom she prayed. A child who when she got him was given in dedication back to God. And that child, Samuel, led God's chosen people away from sin and death and back to him. And if we just fast forward about a thousand years, there was another miracle birth. There was another mother who should not have been able to have a child. Another mother who prayed for that child. A child who was given to a mother and then was given back to God because he was God. And that child, Jesus Christ, came not just to redeem the kingdom or the nation of Israel. He came for the whole world to lead them and deliver them from the greatest enemies of sin and death. As Tim Keller might say, Jesus is the true and better Samuel. And everyone who makes him Lord of their life, the promise is that sin and death no longer have a hold on them. He is the gift we need. Jesus Christ is the answer to every cry of our hearts. So if you are walking through a season this morning saying, this is not what I wanted. If you are walking through a season of disappointment this morning, please hear me when I say, you will find your answer not in something, but in someone. Our hope is in the giver, not the gift. Take your disappointments boldly to God. Lay out your heart to him. Your disappointment is an opportunity for God to show up and show out. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you that it doesn't sugarcoat the way life is going to be in this world and as your followers but we also thank you for the hope that we find in the promises of your word. God, I know there are some of us today who are looking at, at our lives saying, this isn't what I wanted. This is not what I wanted to look like. This is not how I wanted to feel. And I pray that they would feel in this moment a distinct sense of your peace and hope flowing over them. If this life was our only hope, we would be despairing. But because of the promise of resurrection, by your son, Jesus Christ, we know that this world, this life is not the final say. We know you're a good father and you delight to give good gifts to your children. And I pray, God, that we would learn to run to you, not to the gifts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can clap.
Once again, it is a joy to be with you. Thank you for being here in the sanctuary. Thank you for being here online. If you would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus with your life, we would love to talk to you about that. You can find me after the service or you can email us, info at alcf.net. If you need prayer, we love, we delight to pray for this body. Please email us at prayer at alcf.net and you can know that your request will be prayed for. Uh, please stand and receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved and you are prayed for and you are sent. Happy Mother's Day. Please, uh, please head all the way out to do uh, our fellowship, not in the lobby, but uh, outside in the, in the, under the warm sun. Blessings on you.